You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello darkness, my old friend The bears have lost the game again Thought we were headed for two in a row But Justin went down and I screamed, oh no Then Badgett came in and he fumbled the freaking ball the Bears would fall. The Bears fans' hopes are dying. That Thursday night game sure was sweet. My expectations finally beat. Might have something we could build upon. I finally got to write a happy song. But then my eyes were stabbed by the flash of her cousin's close, all but from Coles. The Bears fans' hopes are dying. Fools say, hey, you should've known. This team ain't built to take the throne. But I just wanted two wins in a row. I sure ain't asking for too much, you know It's this team that I love that I just can't let go They're all I know The Bears fans' hopes are dying The Bears Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, um, as you may have noticed, we've missed the last couple days just trying to do the best I can. If I'm a little short on time, I'm always going to at least try to get you a Packernet after dark. I know uh, I had at least one person reach out and ask, like, are you just done with the regular podcast? No, I'm not. Um, but if I'm really, really short on time, I just can't do a podcast. If I can only do one, I'll just try to squeeze one of those out. Cause they're obviously a lot easier. I don't have to do, um, research and prep and everything else. You guys are my prep and I appreciate that. 
Um, kind of torn. Part of the reason I haven't had time to do the podcast is um, I'm working on a lot of different things at once, and I'm in over my head, and I want to look at the defensive performance, and I want to grade the offensive performance, so I can kind of try to put that into perspective, and everything's just kind of taking a lot of time, and da 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 da. And so, um, I'm going to take a half a step back from that. I just barely got started, and um, so I can't give you a ton of results, and they're almost all run plays, so you know, whatever. But um, I think for today, I want to mostly just get caught up. Not a ton is going on, but at least we had football, we had a lot of people chiming in about Joe Barry and at least one of the comments he made. So we'll see. I mean, I, I, I've got a big pile of things that I want to cover. A lot of them are going to take a lot of time. So I, I we'll just see what we can get through. I know one of the things that I want to look at uh, either today or tomorrow probably is kind of taking a step back and looking at the question of, is it an anomaly or is it a pattern? And the reason I say that is usually I like le- weeks like this week, and I don't mean Packers on a bye week. I mean weeks where nothing makes sense, where really good teams lose to really bad teams, and you see all kinds of crazy stuff. Good quarterbacks playing bad, bad quarterbacks playing good, etc., etc. Usually I like it because generally the Packers are a good team, and the bad things that we see are anomalies, and I use this as an example, right? Good quarterbacks are allowed to have single bad days without being called trash or washed up or whatever. Um... I basically said it when the offensive line had a terrible game two weeks ago. uh, Or three weeks ago, I guess. Whatever it was. uh, Against the Lions, I guess it would have been. But the problem is, when it happened the second week, not as bad, but still significantly below standard, you start to look at it and say, is it an anomaly or is it a pattern? And so I want to, at some point, whether that be today or tomorrow kind of look at the individual players and say, are we looking at a player with promise and potential that is maybe not shown up once or twice? Or are we looking at a consistent pattern of just not really getting the job done? But speaking of the NFL being completely ridiculous this last week, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost glad that this is the week that I lost in fantasy football because it doesn't mean anything negative about my team because it's just complete nonsense. I got completely wrecked, at least I think. I haven't even looked. Let me look. Well, uh, I did win yesterday, so I came out ahead, but it's just one game. So maybe we just won't look at Sunday and say I did okay. But I did bet the Cowboys minus two. How did Sunday do? Oh boy, I don't want to look. Yeah, not good. I did bet on Miami winning, which was kind of straightforward, but you don't win very much in those bets. Uh, Lions minus three. Bills winning again. You don't win much from that. Everything else was a loss. So rough week. For sure. It wasn't all bad, though, because we did, fortunately, at least see one NFC North team lose, and it was the Chicago Bears. There might be some mixed feelings on that in terms of who you'd rather see. I did make the case that it would be better for the Vikings to lose, but I think I kind of settled on, especially after we saw a pretty putrid performance from Caleb Williams. And um, I do want to look at that a little bit. Um... I started to feel like maybe there isn't a savior. Maybe there isn't this lockdown, surefire thing that no matter what, whoever drafts them is going to be a superstar football team. Um, Now, I haven't really looked into these guys, but I'm going to start because I know there are a ton of really intriguing prospects. Um, Drake May, obviously, being one of them. But um, 
I mean, the, 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 the kid out of Miami that I made fun of for being a joke is having a heck of a year. But the point is, I kind of got to the point where I said, I, the, the world was a better place when the Bears were hopeless. When the Bears were just a complete joke, they were useless, they were no good to anybody, especially themselves and their fans. And you plop down a good quarterback in that complete disaster wasteland of a team, and you're better off. And so I was happy with the result. I don't think the Vikings look good. The Bears look lost. Yes, Justin Fields was hurt. I don't think that that changes the dynamic a ton because the team was garbage when he was playing as well. Aside from, I mean, the only thing they could do was run Justin Fields. So maybe they had a chance if they just continued running him all day and doing nothing else. But again, I was very happy to see that. And um, I think we're, we're in a good spot. The only thing that's somewhat negative is the Packers and the Vikings are, are basically neck and neck with two wins apiece. The only thing keeping the Packers ahead is our bye week, which we haven't, you know, we, we have one less loss. But a loss this week, and we're, we're kind of looking in, I mean, I, I know nobody likes the word tank, but that's kind of where we're at. We're not going to catch the Lions. Um, the Vikings very possibly will sail past us if that does happen. And um, you look around the league, I mean, there's not a lot of teams that have four losses. Now, granted, some of these teams may have four after this upcoming week like us, but right now it's the Bears have five, the Cardinals have five, the Giants have five, the Broncos have five, Titans have four, Patriots have five, that's it. So you got three, six, I mean, there's like one per division that has um, five, four or five losses. So it, it really catapults us to the bottom with a loss this week. With a win, you know, we're, we're not doing good, but um, you, you, I, I, don't, I don't really know what happens. I mean, <laughs> the majority of the league has three or more wins already. We have two, so we're still one of the bottom teams right now. I think as of right now, we are the ninth pick in the draft if it if the season ended today um so i don't know i mean that that's not super important outside of saying i'm happy with the fact that yes the lions look good they do and that sucks um it sucks primarily because there's a lot of room for improvement there's a lot of guys still that you can look at and upgrade it's not like the packers where i look at it and go i don't know dude i don't know i don't really know what you do to massively upgrade this team uh, there's a couple minor tweaks, maybe, but um, I mean, there's just bad players in Detroit, and so they can still do a lot of damage. Uh, they don't, I mean, they don't even have a, a premier quarterback. They got a good enough quarterback, but I mean, freaking yikes. But I think the Vikings and Bears are in just complete desperation mode. And again, if nothing else, it's just nice to see Bears fans only have that one week to celebrate and then suddenly realize, oh, we suck again. And I don't really care. I mean, let me, let me put it this way. I, I don't think it's right if Fields loses his job, it should be on account of an injury. That's that's kind of BS. Um, he should win or lose his job based on his performance, which up to this point has warranted him losing his job. But but still, let let the man finish out his, his season and let's see how it goes. If he's good enough, he should stay. If he's not, he should go. But um, aside from that, I mean, it's just a complete wasteland in the NFC North. And even Detroit, I mean, it's like you look at it and say, okay, they're one of the better teams. I don't put them up near the top. Aside, uh, aside from the fact that there's not a lot of premier teams, but Aside from kind of some kind of a fluke in San Francisco like this past week, I think the 49ers absolutely obliterate the Lions. I think the the Eagles obliterate the Lions. I think the Chiefs would... I know they already beat the Chiefs, but that was under different circumstances. And the Chiefs aren't very good right now, but I think they probably obliterate the Lions. Miami Dolphins absolutely do. The Buffalo Bills, I think, beat them. Even the Jets at this point, I'm not positive. You know, I mean, as good as that defense is playing, 
finding ways to win on offense. I, I would put them on a similar tier if I'm being honest. Maybe I'm biased because I just don't like the Lions, but I mean, again, they stole a win against the Chiefs, which they should not have won, aside from one guy holding out and their biggest and only real playmaker on offense being out. They lost to the Seahawks at home. They beat the Falcons, who suck, the Packers, who suck, the Panthers, who suck, and the Buccaneers, who are not good. It's not to completely take away from the win, but it is to say that, you know, I mean, who who have you played? Seahawks are the best team you've played, and you lost to them. So I don't know. We'll see. I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now. The Lions are good enough to beat on you know, a good amount of the NFL right now, which is not great. I don't think that they're in the upper echelon. They'll have an opportunity to prove that incorrect, though. As for the Bears, Vikings, and Packers, I don't think any of them have proved anything. Um, The Bears, I think, are desolate, and there was a chance for a brief moment where I thought maybe something's about to change, but I think that's gone back to zero. The Vikings, I kept trying to believe in. They kept failing, and um, when they lost Justin Jefferson, I think that's kind of when you realize that kind of dashed their hopes. And the Packers, they got to get a win. I mean, you know, they they have the possibility of being at least on that Lions tier, but you know, we get we got to start significantly smaller because right now it's it's closer to being a bottom 3 team or a bottom 10 team than a top 10 team. A couple of the little minor things that I found here, um Mr. at throw the damn ball on Twitter X whatever he created a chart here using PFF data, and he looked at two different things, and this is pressures. One is your defense's ability to generate a quick pressure. Two is how many times your offensive line allowed a quick pressure. This is through week five in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers offensive line is number one in not allowing quick pressures. Their offensive line through all five weeks, number one, standing alone by themselves. That's not to say total pressures, but that that also means you got to understand if we're seeing an uptick in pressures and it's not 2.5 seconds or faster, there is a window there where you start to look at um, other things that could be happening. And obviously, the last two weeks the Packers haven't been good as good as early on, but still, you know, to to say that the offensive line has been bad, at least as far as pass blocking, I just I can't be there with you. It has to be better than the last two weeks. But I don't know what else to say about this information, number one through five weeks. As far as the defense, um, they've got sort of the median line or whatever you want to call it. The Packers are on the positive side of that, just kind of barely. Looks like maybe 0.245 is about the standard. The Packers seem to be at about 0.26, 0.27-ish, which I guess is good. But you still kind of would hope for a little bit better considering the amount of and, and Rashawn has been limited, that's true, but you know, with Rashawn Gary there and a pile of pass rushers that we brought in, at least I hope that that number is going to go up a little bit. There was also explosive plays through five weeks. This is from Arjun Menon 100, whatever, on Twitter. The Packers rank as the ninth worst defense in terms of explosive plays given up weeks one through five, which is somewhat disappointing considering the entire point of the defense is to not give up big plays. We're supposed to take our our medicine of, you know, teams bleeding us down the field and all that. Yeah, but at least there's not explosive plays. Now, to be fair, the reason the Packers are as low as they are is largely because of the rushing explosive plays. They've given up 17, which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the 6th worst. But they're still tied for ninth worst in terms of passes that are 20 yards or more. Now, there has been a week six, but the Packers weren't in it, so I'm just looking at weeks one through five here. Again, it's just not, it's not good enough. If you're going to tell me that 
there's going to be some issues, but at least we're going to stop explosive plays, and you're not one of the top 10 explosive, you're, you're actually bottom 10? Come on, man. But uh, this upcoming week, Thursday, we got Saints-Jaguars. Lions play Baltimore, which, you know, Baltimore's favorites right now, so we'll see. That'll be, again, probably their toughest test coming up since their one loss. Bears are playing the Raiders, and the Raiders are three-point favorites. It's another one that'll be kind of interesting to see what direction that goes in. Not sure what team I'm rooting for in that, to be completely honest with you. Um, Either way, I'm going to be excited if the Bears fail, but I don't know, man. I don't like that they have number one and number two picks right now, and I get it. They're going to mess it up anyways, all that stuff, but still, I just, I don't like that. The Green Bay Packers will be playing in the afternoon game against the Denver Broncos and are only one-point favorites. I mean, that is, in and of itself, that's, that's bothersome to me, you know? I mean, it really just goes to show where the Packers are at right now. Now, I personally can't get there in terms of, you know, mathematically, even if you look at just the last three games, largely is because of how bad Denver's been the last three games, I guess. But you got the Green Bay Packers that have allowed seven or have scored 17 points per game the last three games and have the defense has given up less than 21 points per game, which is obviously pretty fantastic. Denver has scored 20 points per game, but has given up almost 40 points per game. But again, if you if you kind of see Denver as, as let's say that number's a little bit of an anomaly, right? And let's say that more realistically, let's just drop it down to like 30. Um, even then, I have the Packers winning. Even at 25, I have the Packers winning. So, I mean, it, 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 again, we're, it still has to do with the last three games, looking at the DVOA over the last three games. Um Look, I mean, I, I, I've I got it, the Packers winning fairly handsomely, but I mean, if you could look at the last two games, which I'm not going to mess this whole thing up to do that, but it might ch- change the dynamic. Again, we'll we'll dig more into this as time goes on, but, um, you know, again, the, the fact that you can look over a three-game sample and the Packers should destroy Denver and Vegas is saying, yeah, I've got it at one point, really just goes to show how rapidly the Packers have just completely unraveled on top of Denver kind of pulling out of their tailspin a little bit. I'm not they're not going to be a good football team, but they also, you know, put up a halfway decent performance the last time they played, all things considered. So, if you're all in, you're a believer, absolutely go Packers. Otherwise, I mean, it's just it's not really about the the bet and where you should go with it. It has more to do with just how unfortunate that is, you know. <laughs> I mean, Denver is one of the worst teams. You could say Carolina or whatever, but Denver's got to be there as like a bottom three, four, five team. And uh, it's basically a pick right now between Denver and Green Bay. So that's that's obviously trash. Eagles-Dolphins is going to be the late night game. That's going to be a really interesting game. Um, obviously rooting for the AFC team in that game. Vikings play on Monday against the San Francisco 49ers. I have to assume the Vikings are going to lose that game. Um, 49ers are not as heavily favored as I would expect. Only six and a half points. I mean, the, the 49ers are not as heavily favored, if that's not what I said. But, uh, yeah, that's the lay of the land this week. That's what we got. So Minnesota probably isn't going to gain ground. Even if we lose, um, they're still going to have one more loss than us. The only way they overtake us is if we lose and they beat the 49ers, which, again, is pretty unlikely. More than likely, what I mean, if, if everything just goes kind of as planned, the Vikings would end up losing. That would send them to 2-5, and five, which obviously is pretty brutal. The Packers would go on to win and be 3-3, three and three, which is manageable. The Bears are expected to lose or are underdogs. That would send them to 1-6. and six. 
And if the Lions did lose that game, they'd be at 5-2. and two. And if you look at it from that standpoint, you know, obviously you still, depending on how the game goes, maybe you don't feel great. But, I mean, if the Packers come out and they come out swinging and they win handily and we have an offense that looks competent and they're blocking and the throwing and everything and, and, you know, not a bunch of drops and everything just seems to be working, you can look at a team that's 3-3 three and three compared to a team that's 5-2 and two and say, we're kind of nipping at their heels still. We're still in this thing. But... You, you got to win and you got to show some signs of life, not, you know, a, a 13 to 10 victory or some nonsense like that. But all right, let's take our first break. Let's come back. And I want to hear from our coaches and what they had to say over the last couple of days. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, so we should probably start with Matt LaFleur. This is from a week ago, but we haven't covered it yet, and obviously it's going to be more interesting than anybody else uh, because this is where the spotlight is right now. Uh, the first question was just about injuries, and there was really no update or, or um, commitments as to anybody for sure coming back. We'll get more on that in the near future here. But the second question was a pretty solid question, which was about offensive identity. And the first part of that is, is that even a thing, or is that kind of a media fan creation? And number two, are you close to, assuming that's a thing, are you close to um, having that, I guess? I think that there are, are certain areas where, yeah, you want to be able to hang your hat on something, right? And have, whether it's go-to players or, and or plays, that you can go to in tough times that you know that you got a pretty good chance to have success with. Um, I always look at identity more of your pl style of play. 
And are you doing all the little things? Are you straining? Are you making the extra blocks? Are you pushing piles? Are you finishing forward on runs? Um, you know, scheme is scheme to me. And as long as you have a marriage between your run game and your pass game and formationally that you have plays that, that at least come off the same looks, that is all part of that identity. And um, I think that's something that we always work hard to do. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think everything kind of gets magnified when you're not having success. And that's that's just the nature of it. And um, certainly, I think we did some good things. I think there's a lot of things that we can do a hell of a lot better. And I think it all starts with the detail. And we had a, a really long team meeting today and kind of laid out everything for our guys, areas where we have plays dialed up against the premier looks that exactly what you want them for and we're getting the bare minimum and sometimes not even getting a positive play at all and then there are other times and you got to give credit to to the Raiders where we've got plays dialed up that are against horrible looks and you're like how can you not make how can you take a bad play and not make it worse so maybe a zero zero yard game is better than you know getting sacked or whatever it may be so um but i think a lot of it comes down to just our detail and you know where are we putting our eyes what are we doing um are we using the correct technique i think a lot of just our inability to be successful offensively is we've had negative plays or we have a penalty now we weren't penalized as much yesterday but we've been in these get back on track situations and we've had a hard time recovering from that we have not had success in those you know second and 10 or 11 plus situations um and then you're stuck in third and long or we had a second and 17 yesterday where we throw an interception so um we just got to do a better job of, of trying to avoid those situations staying on schedule even if it's you know second and nine that's a hell of a lot better than second and ten plus so i just think there's a lot more out for for this group and we just have to have that urgency and it starts with us as coaches and making sure that we're very intentional about what we're asking our guys to do and then they got to be a part of this process as well and and make sure they're communicating maybe things that they don't understand quite as well and or and, and we got to put just whether it's drill work, whether it's teamwork, um, in order for our offense to come together and actually show progress, because it's been very very frustrating. I would say the last couple of weeks we've it's it's been so um, hit or miss. I thought you know the, these slow starts. I, I think back to yesterday. I mean, we had the first two drives of the the game where we had eight play drives and we end up with three points. We have a third and three where we have a busted route and they play cover two. And ironically enough, that's where the ball should have gone is where the, the route was busted. And, you know, we also have to progress through. And if it's not there, don't force the throw down the field and get to a check down. And maybe you're playing, you know, fourth and one or fourth and two. And um, but I just think there's, there's been so many things that have come up in some some critical situations that have, have really set us back. And by no means am I 
trying to throw blame at our players. I, I'm as much a fault as anybody. Like I said, not every play caller is going to be perfect. I put our guys in some bad situations. There was a couple yesterday where we run an outside zone. Uh, they got penny, what we call penny personnel on the field where it's nickel defense with five bigs and we're running an outside zone and uh, uh, 98 swims our tackle and gets a TFL. So like, you know, that's on me. But I think collectively, there's a lot that we can improve upon as a group, and hopefully we get that corrected in, in short order in order for us to have success. So that was one of the longer answers I think he's ever given uh, that I can remember. Um, again, sorry about the volume. It's a little bit low. Uh, hopefully you can hear that. Okay, I got everything cranked as loud as I can go. This is just how these interviews go. Um, look, I mean... It, I understand a lot of people will look at this and say, well, consider the source, right? And and I think last year even there was a lot of times where Matt LaFleur refused to blame Aaron Rodgers, and I'm looking at it going, I don't know, dude. I'm, I mean, maybe, but I feel like you're kind of throwing other people that don't deserve it under the bus here. Um, but, I mean, make no mistake. I mean, there was no no two ways about it. Although he said he's not throwing his players under the bus, I mean, that's very clearly what he's saying the problem is. I mean, he started off by kind of answering the question about identity going, well, if you're talking about scheme, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward what we do here. It's marrying the run and the pass and trying to make sure formationally everything kind of looks the same at the snap and even at the handoff point. And then after that is when things kind of change and it keeps defenses off balance. If that's what you mean, then yes, we're doing that. That's exactly what our offense is. And, and that's that's our identity, I guess. And that's how we run things. But then he gets into sort of his focus, which is, Guys aren't executing, right? Even the one example he gave of him doing something wrong, which fair enough, I mean, I guess he should have looked at it and not done it. He still pointed out that our tackle got whooped and that's how the play blew up. Because like he said, and I've mentioned this too, going back to the rock, paper, scissors thing, one, either our guy or their guy is going to end up having the better situation, Right? it's it's either we're going to we're going to call a play and their defensive coordinator is going to call a play and they're going to try to anticipate what the other one's doing and how to best attack it all things being equal you would expect about half the time you're calling a really good play and half the time is garbage and i really think for matt lafleur and for joe barry a lot of packer fans feel like it should be closer to 100 percent, and that's nonsense if matt lafleur is expected to win 100 percent, then why is joe barry expected to win 100 percent? that doesn't make any sense right um, so yeah, if you're really good, you're going to win, you're going to whoop that guy formationally and everything else more often. You look at Shanahan and the 49ers, I mean, there's constantly guys open and Mr. I mean, they're, they're, you can see the defense is just completely confused and turned around inside out, upside down. It's a really good play caller. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, and, and, and to be fair to a lot of the callers that we've had on Packernet after dark, you can hear in the way that he's talking, that the two things that stand out, aside from just the bigger picture of these players don't know what the heck they're doing, one is certainly a youth thing, right? I don't like that as an excuse, but it certainly seems to be an issue, right? We, we're going over the basics, like, look, man, if things aren't great, just try to get zero yards instead of, you know, mitigate the damage. I'm not going to win every time. And when I call a play that, that puts you in a bad look, just try to minimize the damage, and then if you have a good look, you need to take advantage of it, which is the other thing that he was saying was not necessarily happening, whether that was a um, busted route or whatever the case may be. Um, 
And so, and he even talked about things like, you know, if you don't know what's going on, you got to tell me, right? Because obviously people are going out there playing, they don't know what they're doing. And I can't coach you and teach you what to do if you don't tell me what you don't understand, right? They're, they're like me in school when, does anybody have a question? I always had a question. I never raised my hand, ever. So, you know, you, you got to step up and speak up and say when there's some confusion or whatever the case may be so we can help get you caught up to speed. The other thing that was somewhat, I guess, concerning, and, and again, I'm kind of trying to read between the lines here a little bit, but it does sound like he seems concerned with effort level in general. Just the way that he's talking. Like, we, we need buy-in, too. We need you guys to step up. We need you guys to to have a little bit of oomph and energy, you know? And, and I do think that that's waning. And it's unfortunate because I understand when things are bad, things are bad, and, and the, it's hard to keep the energy high. But you can't, as a young group, knowing that you're a young group with, with relatively low expectations, you can't throw in the towel after a couple bad games. I mean, come on, man. You can't be that freaking weak. You got to be able to stand in there and take it. You know how many franchises have been... I mean, look at the Lions. I hate to keep using them as an example, but it's been freaking decades for them. And then they come in, and they still don't make the playoffs. They're still a relatively bad football team, but they believe. And then another year goes by, and they suck, and they miss the playoffs, but they continue to believe. It's been like two bad games for our offense, and it seems like the offense is quitting. I mean, the defense, I don't know. They might have given up last year or a couple years ago. I have no idea what's going on with them. But um, offensively, I mean, come on, man. you got to have some of that youthful blissful ignorance going on where you, you still believe we're the best and all that so you can't be freaking pouting after a couple games get your crap together and um let's go play some football the next question then is a follow-up and, and obviously the the reporter whoever it was kind of was picking up on the same thing where it sounds like we're talking about youthfulness and he kind of just asked the question is this what you know young looks like I, yeah i never want to fall back on that because i i just think that's such an excuse it is what it is. I mean, we're going to play with the guys we have, and we believe in the guys that we have. And I do think we we do have a lot of talent. Um, I think we were all knew that there was going to be some growing pains along the way, and but I haven't lost faith or belief in the in in the group that we have. I just think that we can do things better, and I think and 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 really, again, he he's saying essentially kind of where I'm at, which is. Yeah, I mean that's what's happening, but it's not okay, right? It's not it's not acceptable. Especially when things start going backwards. Right? So yes, I mean youth youth means we're making some silly mistakes and we're throwing places we shouldn't and we're running wrong routes. Whatever, right? But I don't like the excuse because there's there's even a bigger picture here. For example, like offensive linemen who are not necessarily young or or at least certainly not rookies who are going backwards and stuff like that. You know, Christian Watson is not where we need him to be. And, and Romeo, I, I, I don't, I don't know that he had a bad day, but certainly statistically it wasn't there. Um, Jordan is, is having some of his worst days. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I agree. I think that's a BS excuse. I think to, to be, you know, if he had come out here the other, the other way, which is to say, if, if the media come out crucifying and he's like, come on guys, we're young. What do you expect? I think that would be a BS answer. And as people like to say, a fireable offense, although I don't necessarily think he should be fired for that. But it would just be a garbage excuse. You guys are here in the frickin' NFL, right? I mean, you've been playing college or you've been playing football for a really long time. 
If I tell you to run into the frickin' flat, you should know where that is. You know, I'm not making these excuses as, as though this is your first time playing football. So, yes and no, right? Yes, that's ultimately what's happening, but that's not how it should be. It shouldn't just be an excuse. Because it's not. It's not excusable. It's not, it's not a thing that would be excuse. It's not an acceptable excuse. It's a poor excuse. The next question, and I don't want to go question by question, but I think they're important. Um, the next one from Matt LaFleur essentially was, okay, you don't want to make that an excuse, but that's clearly where we're at. I'm paraphrasing. And so how do you as a coach put your guys in a position to succeed? And it, it, it was kind of an attack a little bit in, in terms of, I believe it was Wildy, uh, actually, and I haven't listened to his podcast either. I've been podcastless for a while now. Although Clayton looks like he has a really good podcast I need to listen to. It's... Um, West Coast Offense History, Why is Matt LaFleur Not Scripting His Openers, and Play Call Deep Dive. It sounds like something I need to listen to, so I'll try to make that a priority, but the um, the point of the question, at least my interpretation of it is, are you doing enough as a coach to recognize the situation you're in and optimize it, or are you putting too much on your guys, which is causing some of the problems? I'm, I'm, I'm putting words in, I believe it's Wildy, Wildy's mouth a little bit, but that's kind of how I interpret it, and I think that's the right way to ask the question, honestly. It's great. We have this big old call sheet with all these plays to attack certain looks or whatever it may be. And it really doesn't matter if you can't execute it. So I think just from a coaching standpoint, we may have to look at, at just how much are we putting in on these guys? Because you're right. We do have a, a lot of young guys. And um, although we didn't have a ton of uh, mental mistakes, it's just we did have a, a few in some critical situations. Um, that we can't have, uh, but yeah, I, I just think every week we have to continue to learn, both from successes and obviously from your, from your failures. And um, if we do that and we can avoid making the same mistake twice, I think we have a chance to show progress. And and understand what this means, right? And, and again, this is coming from my perspective, which is not everybody else's perspective. But I, it, it sound, everything I'm hearing Matt say is not running contrary to kind of how I feel things are. I think he's right in that they he's, he's a little skeptical to pull back. But that is what we're talking about. So a lot of people are looking like, well, this is, this is garbage play calling. We're pulling back too much, which I've already called out as being kind of silly. On one hand, we're saying that these, these young players need the, the play calling sheet simplified. And on the other hand, we're saying it's too simple and, this, and Matt LaFleur should be fired. That doesn't really hold up. But the bottom line is, I don't think he has pulled back. I think the results have been negative, aside from running the ball and throwing checkdowns, because that's the only thing that's working right now. But that's not because that's what Matt is calling. I think it's been relatively aggressive. I think he's been very deep in his bag. Um and I, I just think it's not being executed. And, and, and again, we got to be careful what you wish for, because if we start pulling back a little bit, you're going to see less of that creativity. It's going to be a more boring offense. And honestly, there's a, there's a lower ceiling. The probability of success is lower. I mean, automatically, if, if you have a, a call sheet and you say, here's how we attack this, and then you take out half of those plays, you're, 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 you're very likely going to be losing a lot of the more most optimal plays. Um, the ones that are more creative, more misdirection, all those kinds of things to simplify. But you're also easier to prepare against because you do less. So defensive coordinator is going to have an easier time shutting down this little bit that you do. Um, but as he said, it doesn't do any good if guys aren't executing it. So it would be better to have a smaller, less dynamic, less threatening play calling sheet that is being executed properly 
than to have what we had last week, which again, my interpretation is really good play calling, which had guys open all day all over the field, but no execution, no blocking, no catching, no throwing, nothing. Everything sucked. Nobody was able to do what they were being asked to do. So, you know, the, the, the question kind of is, do we reel this back in to kind of get guys caught up to speed and slowly add back in, which is going to mean losses and boring offense and all that kind of stuff, or do we keep the foot on the gas and just hope that maybe next week will be better or the next week will be better or the next week will be better and hope that we don't do too much damage in terms of making guys look like garbage and then, um, you know, throwing up our hands and trying to replace everybody. But at the end of the day, we have to get to that point where we have a full call sheet and a full roster of, or I shouldn't say full, but a, a, a group of guys that are largely up to speed on these things. And that starts with the offensive line, and obviously the quarterback is also a major part of that. They need to be in sync, and then from there we can kind of work, we, you know, we'll work things out. Hopefully Jordan has a guy like Romeo Dobbs that he can rely on while other guys are getting up to speed, or whatever the case may be, but we, we, we have to have something. So that's the only thing I would say is is we need to be careful what we wish for, right? We we want to pull back, and that's what kind of Rodgers was talking about last year. We need to simplify, 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 and I don't think Matt wants to. Maybe he should. I don't know. But I, I understand the desire to say, I want to be freaking Kyle Shanahan, <laughs> you know? I want to be doing all that cool stuff, too. That's that's the whole point. Like, these are guys that, like, sit in the lab, and they work on all this cool stuff, and you look at it, and it's going to work, and then you call the play, and you get the look, and it's like, this is it. We're going to do it, and then your guys don't execute, and you're like, you son of a what are you doing it was perfect but then you know again rightly asking the question okay i get it it was the right call you're excited it was a great play you finally pulled it out of your bag you showed the world this thing that you've been hanging on to and then your guys messed it up and that sucks the question is do we keep doing that in hoping that next time they won't mess it up or do we cut this freaking book in half and go all right fine we'll just We'll do simple run plays, simple pass plays, and we'll we'll just go from there. I don't know the answer, and I don't really have a vote, to be honest. Part of me really wants to just keep the foot on the pedal and see which guys rise to the occasion and which ones don't. The only problem is it kind of hurts the evaluation process to where I feel like we might need to give everybody more time. Whereas if we dial back and you still can't do it, then I feel much more comfortable saying, okay, you just can't be here. That would be the only reason why I don't want to just keep the foot on the... Because if we're going to suck anyway, I mean, what's the point of like just throwing jabs all season long and losing a bunch of games because we're just throwing jabs and hoping the defense can keep teams under 15 points because that's all we can do? Like, screw that. Start throwing haymakers. If you miss and get knocked out, so what? At least we're trying. Freaking go down swinging, dude. But again, that's that's just me. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. It's probably the wrong thing to do. I don't know. Next question kind of reverts back to, or a couple questions later, reverts back to something talked about earlier, which is offensive identity. Um, and one of the comments made was, you know, you want to have something you can hang your hat on, which is like a fallback, sort of the Alamo, right? Last case scenario, worst case scenario, nothing's working. Let's go to our, our core concept, and um, we know we'll have some success there. And so the, the, the question was essentially, okay, you don't have that yet. Are you close to it? And here's what Matt had to say, if I can get over there. You know, just looking back and, and talking about yesterday, for example, uh, the thought was to get a little bit more under center and see if we can operate at a higher level. I thought our run game definitely benefited from that. Um, you know, we, we still have a ways to go, I would say, with just some of our play action. Um, I thought it was good to get Jordan out on the perimeter. We, we probably didn't do it enough, if I'm being honest about it. He's, he's made some plays with his legs. Um, and you, you got to be careful uh, 
you know, when you have a, a guy like Max Crosby on the edge when he's lining up on your right or on your left, did not want to keep back into him at any time because, I mean, he jumps around blocks and he can, he can make you look silly in a hurry. So we wanted to be very particular about when we were going to call those plays. Um, but just looking back, I think there was probably a few more opportunities there that we could have taken advantage of. And, you know, give credit to, to the Raiders. They did a very good job. Uh, of disguising, we had a couple cans in where, where where they definitely held their shell or showed one thing and played another, and they did a good job. The the reason I like this, aside from just giving us an insight in terms of they they did more under center and they think that that helped the run game and whatnot, which is just an interesting side note that I didn't personally pick up on. It's the very obvious fact that they're still in experimenting. They're they're still in an experimental phase, right? I. I mentioned before that it's still going to be Matt LaFleur's offense, but there is a component of what does Matt LaFleur's offense look like when you tailor it to a guy like Jordan Love, who is different than Aaron Rodgers. Despite their similarities and the fact that Jordan's picked up a lot from from Rodgers, you still have a different quarterback with different tendencies. He's got more athleticism. Um, so you can see like he he's exploring to find out what that thing is going to be. So let's try a little bit more under center and see what that does. Let's try to roll him out a little bit more and see what that does. And that, and now he's going back and watching saying we should have done it more, especially since Jordan did so much with his legs. Maybe we're going to see more of that, That which I've heard, as people have called in, we need to see more of that. Um, again, it's dangerous. you got your guy out there with essentially no blocking help, and if somebody misses a block, he's going to get lit up for a 15-yard loss, and then you know everybody's going to be super pissed about the play calling. But um, it, again, it's it's... It's exciting, but it's also kind of the process. It's it's exciting because, you know, when, when Rodgers was here, especially under McCarthy for such a long time, there was one way that we played football. And it, it evolved a little bit over time, but it was very slow, right? It was very slow turnover in terms of players. It was the same guys. It was the same looks. It was the same – I mean, you just knew – even if you saw like a, uh, like a photo-negative view of a football game – and you couldn't see the colors, and you couldn't see the players' names, and you couldn't hear the audio, you could probably watch an offense and say that that's Rodgers and the Packers. You could tell by the way that it flows and the way that it moves and the drop back and the throws and the catches and the play calling and all that stuff. You would just know. And I think we're still trying to feel out. You know, Obviously, Matt LaFleur came into the season with, here's how I think we're going to play. Here's what I think is best with with what I think Jordan Love is and what he does best, and you know, having a guy like Christian and a guy like Romeo and a guy like Jones and then you lose Jones and you lose Christian. You're like, all right, we got to tweak it this way and that way. And it, it's complicated, but they're still trying to tweak it. Right. Okay. So this isn't working as well as I thought it would. So let's maybe not do that as much. And Hey, he's got a little bit more athleticism and, and elusiveness than I kind of expected. Right. His ability to not just run, which, you know, he's relatively fast, but his ability to break tackles and things is, is pretty incredible. And maybe that's going to be a bigger dynamic that we need to explore. So let's add a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. They're still trying to find what this offense looks like when it's at its optimum with Jordan love. So it's, it's, it's a positive, right? It's, it's, um, there, there's still so much more room to grow with this offense. And we know that we, we saw them week one play at a much higher level, we know that um, we've hardly had Aaron Jones. We still haven't figured out how to get Christian Watson fully involved in this in this offense. Um, we know Romeo Dobbs can be more involved because we've seen him have just huge games with nine, ten catches or whatever. And you know, you see a game where he has zero or one. That's that's kind of 
that's not operating at, at full steam. Uh, we know the run game isn't where it needs to be. So, you know, again, they're doing stuff like getting under center and then, hey, that actually helped the run. And, you know, maybe we'll try a little bit more power and maybe we'll try a little bit more outside zone or wide zone or this or that or whatever, situational stuff. That is one of the complications. Now, we still have to have execution. That's still the biggest issue is guys just not straight up doing their job. But you can tell Matt LaFleur and, and the rest of the coaches are trying to figure out, okay, we got to work around the deficiencies a little bit. We got to kind of meet them where they are to some degree and figure out how to optimize the the positives and sort of minimize the negatives a little bit. But anyways, let's take another break. These things always take longer than I expect. Um, but we'll take a break. We'll come back and uh, keep ripping through some stuff from Matt LaFleur. So right out of the gate, we've got the question, which, you know, it is inanswerable to some degree, but it's how do you both simplify and make your offense more complex so that you can compete in the NFL, right? And, th and that is the problem. And that's why I said I kind of want to keep the foot down because if you want to have success in the NFL, you, you got to ramp it up to 11. You know, it, it's like if you want to buy a, uh, a cookie from a vending machine and it's like $2 and you have $1.75 in quarters, don't put the $1.75 in the machine. Don't even bother, right? Don't do it unless you have two. So the, the point, there's like a level. There's a certain level of, if you want to win, you got to be this good. You must be this high to ride, this tall, whatever. You got to be this stone to ride. Um, and if you're not going to meet that level, if you're going to play down to your player's level, which currently is below a standard that is, you know, a team that wins football games, don't even bother. You know, simplify some things, sure. Maybe take down a few things. Maybe take a little bit, try to take some off the plate of the younger guys and put more on the plate of the more experienced guys or something. I don't I don't know, but I just, I, I don't want to fall below that line. But anyways, here's what Matt had to say about that. Yeah, that's, that's always the trick, I think. Um, and, you know, you would like to hopefully dress up whatever concepts you, you're guys are used to running and they you feel they feel confident in um and just dress them up in certain di in, in different ways whether it's by motion or formation or whatever it may be personnel um and, and so it's it's simple for us but gives the defense a different look so again that's it's 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 somewhat of a nothing answer in terms of I mean, I, I, I guess it's the right answer insofar as what, what the process is, he explains it, is we're going to simplify it by isolating the few things that they can do well and then try to complicate those couple things. So that would be sort of the strategy in terms of, of how we do that. We, we complicate the four things we do. <laughs> but, um, you know, again, it, I, Matt fully understands that's not good enough. And, and, I, and I can tell, and it's the one thing I do respect about him, is that he doesn't want to play down to inadequacy. Um, and again, maybe that's the wrong way to look at it, but I, I don't want a coach that is vanilla. I don't want a coach that's boring. I, I want a play caller that is aspiring to be the top dog. I want, a, I want a play caller that wants to have the media talking about him the way that they're talking about McDaniel and in, in McDaniels in Miami, you know, as, as this genius play calling guy and everything and he had that for a couple weeks and then the offense fell apart again in my opinion largely due to play play on the field 
And now everybody's like, hey, don't you think you should just like dial it back? Don't you think your offense should look more like, you know, New England right now where they score like three points a week and stuff? Like, shouldn't we just dial it back? Like, he's, no, dude. No. We're going to do crazy stuff. And then I'm just going to yell at people that mess it up. Uh, that's, that's my plan anyways. I don't know. You guys do whatever you want. He was asked about the Preston Smith thing. I'm not going to play it. It's a pretty long answer. Um... I, I, I guess it would be cool to to get a little bit more clarity on the situation because, you know, a, a lot of the fan base just looks at that and says that should never happen, and that's not the case. I mean, it's, it's basic man coverage in a 3-4 in a th- base defense, right? I mean, your, your outside linebackers occasionally are going to get pulled out because that's just how that works. So the question really comes down to situationally, like, what do you, what do, you do there? And, um, you know, the, the question came up, can you just burn a timeout? But, I mean, can you imagine how easy it would be to just get teams to burn timeouts every time we could pull an outside linebacker out in space to cover they'd have no timeouts by by you know five minutes left in the third quarter because we would just keep doing that as much as we possibly could to see if you know and then you're like okay we're never doing man coverage well now we're just going to pick you apart in zone so you know the two basic answers matt lafleur gave is number one preston didn't necessarily play it correctly and he could have mitigated the damage, which is not a great answer either, because he basically says instead of a 20-yard gain, it could have been a 10-yard gain. Well, that's still a BS <laughs> situation where, best-case scenario, we forfeit 8 to 10 yards if everybody played that perfectly. The bigger thing, though, is he says that there's something that could have been done from a coaching standpoint to prevent things like that and or, or you know, to optimize that situation i guess and i I guess i'm just curious what exactly that looks like because i know it's a lot more complicated than just never let that happen because that's not reality those things do happen Uh, other teams that run similar systems have have the same complications on occasion i think this was uniquely bad just because we were blitzing so many people and it was just straight up man coverage against Devontae adams and it, it really exacerbated the problem usually Preston just kind of falls into the flat and somebody else kind of picks him up and it's not as big of a deal. I mean, it's not ideal. I mean, you're basically wasting a player on the field, but it's not usually that bad of a situation. So it would just, it, just for my own sake, it would be interesting to learn about that conceptually, how that works and, and how other teams may be able to get out of it. And we're going to hear more about that from Joe Barry, but you know, Matt LaFleur more or less just kind of shrugged it off as... Yeah, we got to do some stuff, which we've heard that so many times, whether that's getting the ball more to Aaron Jones or whatever the case may be, that I don't really expect anything to change, to be completely honest. I'm sure they're going to look at it. They're going to talk about it. They're going to try to figure some stuff out. But I just think it's, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that that's going to be fixed. And by the way, one of the things that's interesting, they, they kind of elaborated on that and said, you know, they're running 21 personnel, we're running base. So we're trying to match their intensity, right? Well, then they empty out. So then now we have more guys that need to cover. The, the interesting thing about this, and again, this is why it's much more complex than just never let this happen. This is why guys like Joe Barry and most other guys around the league like to run nickel like all the time. And then we see that we're in nickel when other guys are in heavier formations with tight ends and we're like, you're a freaking idiot. Well, it's, it's really sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. If we were in nickel, that wouldn't have been an issue. They can empty out all they want, but what if they didn't empty out and they just kept two tight ends? Now, now we're undermanned in terms of manpower up front. So it's a situation where, and, and that's the thing, the offense gets to dictate to the defense. You come out in a you know heavier personnel and the defense matches you in base, you can put them in a, a suboptimal situation by spreading out and forcing them to be in a heavier defensive look against a lighter offensive look. And that's what they're trying to do constantly. It's, you know, we're going we're gonna to see what your defense is doing and we're going to try to maximize um, 
our situation compared to your situation. And that's where you see so much in terms of multiple tight end usage, you know, because, you know, a tight end can be a wide receiver, a tight end can be an offensive tackle, you know, or, or having running backs in the backfield compared to running backs split out wide. That's where having flexibility in terms of, you know, tight ends that, that are really good receivers or running backs that can be really good receivers or whatever, even guys like Aaron Jones who do stuff like that, that's where that becomes really beneficial. And that's where you'll see sometimes you'll have your two backs with Jones and Dylan, and then we'll have the quarterback kind of stand there, look at the defense and go, yep, you go ahead and go out there. Well, what are we doing? We're probably uh, telling Jordan to go, or excuse me, we're telling Aaron Jones to get out into the slot because they're in base defense trying to stop us. So now we, we reassess the situation. Maybe because they have a lighter box, we'll run it with A.J. Dillon. Or maybe because they've got some linebacker out there covering Aaron Jones that's not very good at it, or possibly even an edge rusher. Now that's primarily where we want to go. I want to throw it to him. So it's just this constant game of chess that's going on that's that's not quite as simple as just never let that happen. Because the, the simplest way, I think, to never let that happen is to just stay in a very light personnel, nickel or dime or whatever, and then we just have corners covering everybody. But we're just going to get absolutely obliterated in the run, which usually is what happens. We play a lot of nickel to make sure that we are ready to cover the pass which puts us in a suboptimal running situation. And I'm not blaming everything on on that because everybody else deals with the exact same situation. And we are less good at dealing with it than than other teams, clearly, based on statistics. But, you know, again, it, it's just, it's so much more complicated than, you know, just never let that happen or burn a timeout because we'll, we'll just be, have, we'll have no timeouts. We'll never see a timeout in the second or fourth quarter, ever. And then kind of getting back to where I feel like Matt is concerned about the energy level which again is a coaching thing but but at the same time you know the the culture is not where you want it to be um the question is asked where where do you want to see your guys when they come back after this extended time off i just want to see a sense of urgency um a competitive spirit and just really dial in on, on, on truly taking it one day at a time and focus on what lies ahead and that is improvement so um, the, the reason that I'm isolating this, and again, it could mean a lot of things. I mean, th- th- this could be something they're doing very well, but it's just the priority. Like, we, I got to make sure we're doing these things. But I get the impression that that's not necessarily what he's seeing, and that's why he wants to see it. These are the things that are missing that he feels like we need to see. And and the problem that I have with that is that it feels to me like a lack, a general lack of buy-in. Because that's the sound. It sounds like that's what he's sort of begging for: have urgency, excitement. Be ready, you know, be excited about the future and all that stuff because it, it, it uh, presumably we're not getting that right now. So, and I think that always starts again with us as coaches, making sure that we we have that same sense of urgency as well. I, I again, I don't know, but, you know, I, I've never really seen Matt LaFleur as that kind of a guy, as sort of the, the leader of the rah-rah and getting guys fired up and everything else. Um I could be wrong. It doesn't mean he's not liked necessarily, but I just I don't know that that's where the Green Bay Packers excel. I could be very wrong about that. I don't know, but I'm I'm getting that that vibe. And and again, it's hard to have a great culture when you're losing, and it's easy when you're winning. But you shouldn't have to be begging for young players to be motivated after a handful of losses, right? A couple of of not super great games. I mean that's that's BS. So. If that's happening, that's that is certainly concerning, and um, I don't necessarily know the right course of action. I know a lot of people would say just fire the head coach and get a more rah rah guy in there. Maybe I don't know. I mean, 
Pettin was a rah-rah guy, and they fought for him for like two weeks, and then the defense wasn't working, and they gave up. So um, I'd be hesitant to get rid of Matt LaFleur as a play caller just to see if we can get like a rah-rah guy in there. But I, you know, who knows? Then uh, we got a question about Jordan Love. It kind of weaved its way there after five minutes of explaining the question. But um, the, the, the general question is, you know, I, I don't know. It has something to do with Jordan Love. So here's his answer. I just, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, I, don't, I think there's definitely some plays that we'd all like to have back. Um, they're just like there's some calls I'd like to have back as well. Um, and quite frankly, it's it, all the all the spotlights going to be placed, or the majority of the spotlights going to be placed on the quarterback, and that's not always the case. Um, you know, we have an opportunity in the two-minute drive, and we have back-to-back drop balls. I mean, it is what it is. Like we get, we got to make those plays to help us to help put us in better position. And maybe that last play doesn't happen. Um, you know, we got beat up front on the last play that forced a scramble drill. Because if you if you go back and watch the tape, I mean, Christian was behind the corner. So uh, there, it, it just it gets magnified. It's it always comes down to the quarterback. That's what you guys like to write about, um, but it's the truth. Uh, or the coaching, but. Uh, but it, it truly is. That's what that, that's what's so great about the sport is it truly takes all eleven. And I know you guys want to bust my chops saying that's coach speak and whatever, but I truly believe that. And I think you you see it on the tape every week when you have great plays, it's everybody doing their job. And when you have bad plays, it's it could be just one person not doing their job, and that's just the way it goes. I don't know who would bust his chops for that because that's very evidently the the situation. Um, I know going back and looking at it very often, it's one guy making a mistake, unless it's a run play, in which case it's all five offensive linemen and maybe the running back also. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think I wanted to play that because it's an important question. I don't know that we learned a ton. Um, I mean, it, the the only coach speak is saying, yeah, he made some mistakes, but it wasn't just him. Well, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Offensive line struggled, and, and the wide receiver struggled, and Jordan struggled. So I don't know, man. Um, I, I think the only the only thing kind of, and, and again, I'm probably reading too much into this, but he, he is not seemingly defending Jordan with the urgency that he defended Rodgers last year. There was a lot of hesitancy and stuttering about, yeah, well, uh, mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, uh. Whereas last year you ask about Rodgers, he would just get pissed and then immediately talk about how it was everybody else's fault. <laughs> so I don't know. Again, I, I didn't learn a ton from that, but suffice it to say, he, he still generally thinks there's, there's a lot of mistakes. And, and, he's, and he's right about that. I mean, everything he said is true. I don't disagree on any of those plays, that the drop balls were the, were the fault of the people who dropped it, including Musgrave. Even though it was a bad throw, you still need to be able to catch that. The pass to Christian Watson that was intercepted absolutely never should have been thrown. In a million years. And if you do throw it, you definitely don't underthrow it to that degree. But yeah, that's, that's, that's very likely pending a good pass, a touchdown, if there wasn't immediate pressure. Because Christian Watson got by the guy, threw his hand up immediately. If that ball just gets out of his hand and in the corner of the end zone, that's an easy walk-in touchdown to Christian Watson. And we feel better about Jordan Love, and we feel better about Christian Watson, and we feel better about the offense as a whole. We probably win the game. I mean, everything's different 
but one freaking guy, and I don't know who it was, I don't remember, might have even been two, I don't know, but one freaking guy misses a block, and it ruined everything. It goes from an easy touchdown, a great play call, a win, a quarterback who is redeemed, Christian Watson's back on the map, to a ugly pick and a loss, and questions about play calling, and Christian Watson is useless, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh I, I, I'm to the point where I, I kind of am on the same page with Matt LaFleur now where it's like I, I, I genuinely feel like we just we just need to wake up, you know, because I, I don't think Jordan is that bad, and I don't think the offensive line is that bad, and I certainly have high hopes for Musgrave and his ability and the receivers and their ability, and they're playing so far under their ability right now that it does feel like they're sleepwalking, which is complete BS, and you can put the blame for that wherever you want, but... I just I want them to come out fired up and motivated and realize that this is the team that's going to win a Super Bowl in the next three years. And, you know, you're not winning. So freaking what? So the, the guys that are causing problems are going to be replaced. But are you the guy that's going to be there when they win a Super Bowl in 2026 or 2027 or whatever year it's going to be? Is it going to be you getting the game-winning touchdown or are you going to be out of the NFL at that point? Wake the hell up and go out there and play like you give a damn. Pardon the uh, language. But I don't know how else to put it. You know, it's, it's, it's like being in college. Yeah, your team sucks. But guess what? There's scouts watching you, and they're going to pluck you out. And you're going to be a early-round draft pick, and you're going to have success in the NFL. You don't need to sit here and pout with these guys because they suck at football. Greg's going to be washing cars in two years, bro. Don't worry about these guys. You worry about you. Who cares if this person or that person or this person suck? If you're a good football player, the other people around you will be replaced and you will be sitting right here with a big old pile of money on your way to winning a championship. So just be that guy. I don't care if everybody else is pouting. You don't be that guy. Be a freaking leader. Be the guy that's going to show up and play no matter what. That's going to put in the work. Three games you lose and you're going to pout? Like, that's bullcrap. What, because your coach doesn't motivate you enough? Come on, man. Put on a self-help audiobook and go do some work. Final thing, I'm going to leave it at this because we got to get this wrapped up here, but um, I wasn't going to play it, but I am going to because my favorite Matt LaFleur is no excuses Matt LaFleur. The question essentially is how much does, do your problems come down to not having that one superstar? And I want to play this because his answer would be essentially my answer, which is I hate that. And, and Packer fans and the media have been doing that since forever. Just go get that one elite player and it'll fix everything. Go get that one elite player. What did Matt LaFleur just say? It takes 11 guys. Who gives a crap if one guy's really good if you don't have 11 guys? I mean, really think about it. How many times did you see a busted play or a bad play and having one elite guy would have fixed it? The only play that I can think of would be one play in which a player dropped it. And you have to assume that this is a, a, a top-tier player who doesn't really drop footballs, which isn't a thing. Like Jamar Chase, again, still really high up there in drops. Still a great football player, though. But that, that interception to Christian Watson, does that change anything if it's an elite player? No, it doesn't. That's a pick. What about the other pick where he threw it right to a defender? Does, it, does an elite wide receiver down the field fix that? No. Third pick? No. Still a pick. How about the failures in the run game? Does, does an elite wide receiver fix that? No. The inability to block? I mean, nothing, none of this fix, gets fixed by having some elite player. There might be a couple instances. This, this, the, the 11 guys on the field have to play better. Once you get to that point, then you can talk about how do we take this to the next level, right? Get yourself up to 100% of your current capacity, and then let's see how we can move it up from there. But we're not at that point right now. We're at the point right now where guys are open and the ball's not getting to them, whether that because of pressure or inaccuracy or drops or whatever. Adding talent to this is useless. Figure out how to maximize what you currently have 
and then we'll figure out how to add more juice. We'll figure out how to get you more horsepower. But adding adding more talent to this is a waste of time. Anyway, sorry, I forgot to play his answer. Yeah, I just, like, I, I never liked that narrative, to be honest with you. Um, he is a great player. There's no doubt about it. I'm guessing he's talking about Aaron Jones here. I don't know. He, I, I don't think Aaron Jones was brought up in the question, but I could be wrong. And he's an explosive playmaker. I mean, you saw what he did week one with the choice route and then the screen that we ran, um, just getting big explosion plays. And he does tilt the, the field in your favor. However, there's still uh, an expectation that you got to go out there and perform no matter who's out there. So I never want that to be the narrative. you got to work around that. That's football. There's a lot of other teams in this league that are dealing with similar situations, and, and you got to find a way. And so that's, that's all of us. It's, it's our ability to put together a, a competent game plan, and then it's our, you know, it comes down to the guys being able to go out there and execute it. So, um, you know, you, you always got to work around it. And I never want that to be the narrative or the excuse because it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Exactly. And, and it, you know, again, we're, we're, we're putting a Band-Aid on it. With, 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 with Jones coming back, assuming he is saying that that's going to fix things, no. Is it going to make us better? Yes. The, the run game's probably going to look better. The receive, I mean, he's a good receiver. It's not a guarantee. He's had bad days, you know. Um, again, you got a playoff game with three fumbles where the, where the loss is, is on your head more than just about anybody else. I mean, people have bad days. But that's not, again, that's not the point. That that's not ultimately what makes the difference between the Packers being good and the Packers being bad. And I think too many people get hung up on it's about those couple elite guys, right? Get like those two elite guys and then you're great. No, it's about execution. It's that Bill Belichick, make less mistakes than the guy across from you and you'll win the game, right? Let them beat themselves. It's discipline. That's what it is. It's discipline. It's, it's knowing your job and doing your job. I'd rather have a me. I'm not saying me necessarily, but the, the theory behind it. I'd rather have a mediocre guy that does his job than an elite player that doesn't know what he's doing. Because all that eliteness is useless if you're not doing what you're being asked to do. Which, by the way, is how you know it's a, the reason I've always said like guys like Dean Lowry always stick around. Well, we can find somebody better. You can find somebody more talented. That doesn't necessarily mean they're better. You can find somebody more athletic and more dynamic and more explosive. But you're not going to find a guy that knows the defense and knows his assignment better than Dean. And that's how he kept his job for such a long time. And we're kind of seeing that, right? I mean, we've got guys that are significantly more athletic and talented and potent than, than Dean Lowry. But are they better? Maybe. I mean, they're, I mean, Devontae Wyatt's a better pass rusher, but a better all overall player? Nah, I don't know. So, you know, again, the, the, the message from the head coach is very simple. We need guys to figure out what the heck they're supposed to be doing and, and to, to just baseline, just please do your job. And until we get to that point, there's no point discussing anything else. If, if they can't execute basic things, then we're just not going to get anywhere. And whether we put that on the coaches or on the players is, is I don't want to necessarily act like it doesn't matter, but it, it's, it's secondary to the larger point that that is what needs to happen. So anyways, I'm going to leave you guys with that. We'll figure out if we're going to do uh, Barry and the rest of the guys tomorrow or what, but we'll figure that out tomorrow. You guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.